Welcome back. I'm Peter Wood, and I'm the author of Mud Between Your Toes, A Rhodesian Farm, which is a memoir about my life growing up in Zimbabwe, or formerly Rhodesia, in the 1960s and 70s. This is a podcast about family, independence, loss, and above all, identity. everybody and welcome to an extra special edition of Mud Between Your Toes because we have a guest presenter today and that is me, David Fox, Pete's old friend from Zimbabwe, my old best mate from school, the best man at my wedding and my best mate now we both live in Hong Kong again together and um, I know he'll put on some jungle drums and he'll uh, tell you all about which website to go to to listen to this and subscribe and do all sorts of other things like that but... Pete, welcome to your own podcast. David, you've turned things around a little bit, and I have to—I have to admit—I was a bit surprised when you asked to interview me, and it's rather a terrifying prospect. Now I know what my guests feel like for once. But I think this is a great idea, and thank you for coming to do this. No problem at all. And I might point out that while we're speaking, we have two rather good roast chickens that are going with a beer up their bum on the barbecue, which is. Um, we look forward to after this. Which we can send you the recipe later. <laughs> but anyway, the, um, the reason why I wanted to do this and turn the tables on Pete to a certain extent is because I think he's missing out on a few um, uh, dark secrets that he'd rather not uh, be revealing oh God. To, to, uh, to some of his audience. I think I should sort of just butt in here. I do not know any of the questions that David is going to ask me. So I just hope that he doesn't pull a fast one. No, no, no. This will be fine, I'm sure, Pete. I mean, uh, I'm just going to take you back a few years, though, and, um, and ask you, because this anecdote I hear you relating every now and then, but I think um, it wasn't in your book, and I think it would be a good idea for you to, um, to tell us all about it. And it's, um, um, uh, this was before I went on my, uh, uh, on my um, tours around the world. We had met up briefly in London when you were at... Uh, you had just finished... You're still at art college, maybe. It is the day we were arrested. I no, want you to tell us. I was not at art college. It was way before then, okay. David. I hadn't even come out of the closet then. Oh, you hadn't. That's, That's true. Right. You had yeah, a girlfriend. I was God going out with a girl called Joanne Wood. How much... Well, do you want me to relate the story? Or shall we... Shall we do you want to start it? It must have been I would have thought... I hadn't seen you for 11 years. You'd been living at that time in Bahrain, I think, and you were coming through London and we decided to team up. And I brought my girlfriend, Joanne. She was who, rather cute, by the way. And so happened to have the same surname as me, but I promise you no relation. I'm not that weird. Although I did like my cousins, but that's another story. And we went out to the beer keller, which was just off Trafalgar Square, and right. got absolutely shit-faced. And it was just like David and I hadn't seen each other for years. It was just like the other day that we had last seen You've each other. got the dates wrong. I know you've got the dates wrong because I was working at the Acton Gazette. Definitely. Because I was definitely working at the Acton Gazette. So well, this would have been... Well, it just proves that we were... How separated we were, even though we lived in the same city. I don't believe you. But anyway, that, I think that's 
Maybe for another time. I, but maybe anyway, it does. The dates don't really interfere with the anecdote itself. No, but. no, no, no. And and we came out of uh, onto Trafalgar Square, and it must have been about half past midnight, I should imagine. Quite drunk, but friendly drunk, very nice. And we decided to do what everyone in the world does when they go to Trafalgar Square. We climbed up on top of the lions. No one told us that the lions were sacred lions, which is what a load of bollocks that is. But anyway, no one told us uh, that they were sacred lions. And the next thing we knew, a paddy wagon had pulled up and had arrested both David and I. But Joanne, oddly, hadn't been arrested. No, indeed, indeed. And they, um, they chucked us into the back of a paddy wagon there, didn't they? It was, well, Joanne, of course, a girl on her own in the middle of London in the early oh, 80s, right. which, you know, wasn't a good thing. And it was incredible that the police were just expecting her to make her way home on her own. So she said, look, well, you know, you, you have to arrest me as That's well. Right. And they said, well, you're not nicked, love. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, well, what do I have to do to be nicked? And she said, they said, well, what do you think? She said, you fucking bastards, you pigs, you cops. And they said, all right, now you're nicked, now get you're in. Nicked. Get in. <laughs> and, and so she was thrown into the paddy wagon as well. And we were taken, where were we, where were we taken to? We were taken to Bow Street Police Station. Bow Street Police Station. I think Jack the Ripper, well, no, they never caught him, did they? Mm. But um, what an amazing experience that was. But I do remember that in the back of the paddy wagon, do you remember I was trying to speak Afrikaans to you so that we could get our story straight? I, I thought, you know, uh, you know, we were criminal masterminds and we needed to um, somehow get our story. I mean, we were caught sitting on top of the lions. And I believe you were singing into Joanne's hairbrush at the time. Uh, really? We were probably singing something ridiculous like we're all Rhodesians and we'll fight through thick and thin or something oh, equally, God. equally oh, cheesy. Yes, we're time. not giving up, were we? No, we're, no. You know, very arrogant in a way, I suppose. But, but why the hell were they arresting us for climbing on top of the lions? I think, you know, the police have to arrest so many people every night. They, they have a quota that they have to... So anyway, we're thrown in, in clink. We were sep uh, David and I were in one cell and Joanne was separated. So we were shouting down the corridor at each other like we were in Papillon or something. <laughs> um, and they refused to give me, and bear in mind we had been to the beer keller and probably drunk a barrel of lager. And they didn't even give us a bucket to piss in. And, and that was quite extraordinary. So we had to piss on the floor. Well, I did anyway. And I do remember they finally let us out at stupid o'clock, long after all public transport and buses had stopped. It was like three o'clock in the morning. And we were told we had to reappear at Bow Street Magistrates Court at 9am or something. We the first hearing or something ridiculous. And we were, so we went back to Joanne's place, which was in Maidavale. And naturally we overslept. We got to the Magistrates Court. And as I remember it, the magistrate, a woman said, you know, you're late. And, uh, you know, we said, well, we, yes, we are, ma'am. Why are you late? And I said, because we were drunk, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and so then the next question, I suppose, was irrelevant. You know, are you guilty? And I said, yes, we're guilty. And Joanne stood up and said, excuse me, he doesn't speak for me, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, Anyway, it was all a bit of a, a, a laugh in the end. And all of that manpower, that metropolitan police manpower, 
and we would charge £20 each. Now, David, now, now you are right. David, you were at Acton Gazette, you know, that great publication that everyone reads. And so you didn't have 20 quid on you. So I stood you up that time and I said, pay me back. And then I never saw you again <laughs> for 11 years. There you go. There yeah, you go. there you go. And, and I, I think you did pay me back. <laughs> because that's how I want to move swiftly on to the next thing. Because as I say, we separated, went our different ways. And then I was transferred from Hong Kong to London. And we caught up again. And I, you at that point were working at the Pont de la Tour. See, I'd gone far in life. You'd gone I'd really gone from, far in life. I'd gone from being a pizza waiter to a posh waiter. Yeah, and I'd gone from the acting gazette to Reuters. So we can see how our different career trajectories yeah. were going at that point. You had done a few wars by then. <laughs> but, you know, look, I had an extraordinary time working for Le Pont de la Tour. You know, dealing with uh, local London gangsters. And it was just a fascinating time. I loved it. The, the, the sommelier at Le Pont de la Tour was a rent boy and he was the first person I knew who had a, a, a mobile phone and between shifts he would go and check his messages and then go off and do a trick <laughs> and then come back and say, your wine, madame. <laughs> Quite fascinating uh, people working in these posh restaurants that you just don't even think about at the time. Uh, I do remember, I, because you came round, I was put up in a place at uh, Synonym Wharf for the first month I was in London by Reuters. And we hooked up then. And then I got an apartment in uh, isn't, uh, a house in Islington, living rather high on the, uh, on the ham. And, uh, uh, and that's why I want to talk to you, because... The, four about, stories and a garden. Uh, four stories and a garden. But I want to talk to you about how... I forced you to Hong Kong. I want you to tell us how you ended up here. As and, I remembered it. And my role in it. So I was working in Le Pont de la Tour. David said to me, look, you've got until September. We will put you up rent-free, which it wasn't rent-free. I had to pay um, with a bottle of wine every month. Very good bottle of wine, which the sommelier, the same sommelier, would uh, recommend. You know, So they were good. They were Pouliacs and they were, you know, really, really good red it was, wine. It was 50 quid plus bottles Absol of wine. Absolutely. And, and, that was, and this back is there, 20 was years ago. money for a wine. So David said, look, you got until September. I can't remember when this was, probably June, July. And I used to borrow his bicycle and go off to visit my friends in uh, Camden and places around London. I hope that's not a euphemism, visit my friends. No, no, no. <laughs> Although what, this one day, I went to see one friend of mine, Jason, and we got a little bit, of, bit stoned on some grass. And I was riding across King's Cross about one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, this huge junction, this huge expanse. I'd never done anything like this in my life on a bicycle before. And David's bicycle, the handle used to be very, it was very loose. And so I was riding across with the handlebar completely at an angle. It was actually at the same angle as the wheel. And I thought, well, I can't stop because of all the traffic. So I thought if I, and I can't move the handle. So I thought if I kick the wheel, will the handle straighten out? And of course, my foot went straight through the spokes and I went careering across the road and broke my elbow. Oh, was it your collarbone? I thought it was. No, just my elbow, elbow, which is a very difficult bone to heal, actually, I might add. 
and um, your bicycle was stuffed, which ended up getting stolen anyway. And um, uh, I couldn't get to Hong Kong that September. I ended up getting to Hong Kong two months later, which was November. But Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Pisani and I, at the time, we were convinced this was just a, you know, you trying to squirm out of moving to Hong oh, Kong. Well, you know, maybe it, 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 it definitely wasn't, but the... the David and Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth was David's wife at the time, uh, gave us, gave me a list of names of people, of contacts in Hong, Hong Kong. And they said, when you get to Hong Kong, go down this list from number one, go straight out. And there must have been 15, 20 people on this list from, you know, editors of magazines to uh, photo editors of newspapers. It was an incredibly illustrious list. And uh, the first person I called was Paul Lakatos, who was the photo editor of the Eastern Express newspaper. He, he asked me to come in with my portfolio and I was lugging around an A1 portfolio. I mean, what was I thinking? And they, he had a look at it and he said, look, you know, I like this guy, but we don't have a job right now, but we, I, can, I can put you onto freelance work and then in about two months' time, I will get you a job. And he did, and he was true to his word, and I ended up working for the newspaper. And thank you, David. No. no and but, uh, Elizabeth. Thank uh, you, Elizabeth, uh, if ever you listen to my podcast. I, I want to track back a little bit, but before that, I have to give one other anecdote about uh, Paul Akatos, who's a very old friend of mine. I just saw him recently in Bangkok, actually. I remember about uh, six months after him uh, meeting you and, and finding some work for you and all that sort of thing, I was speaking to him on the telephone, and he said... Oh. Uh, he's an Australian with a pretty thick Australian accent. And he said, ah, Fox, do you know Pete's gay? <laughs> no, he, he said to you, he's a bit of a shirtlifter, isn't he? He's a bit of a shirtlifter, isn't he? That's I right. didn't even know what a shirtlifter was, but uh, David obviously knew. And David, to my absolute credit, from, from London, over the crackling line, says, well, he is Paul, but is that a problem? And Paul said, no, nah, mate. It's not a problem. I just not like to know these things. Now, the interesting thing there is that when I worked for Paul, he didn't tell me that he knew. Uh, you know, look, this was the early 90s. And yes, being gay wasn't such a bad thing. But it also... The Hong Kong you know, was a bit more conservative. It was, yeah, you had to be a bit more uh, careful about how you bandied it about. And, uh, uh, and Paul used to take me into the dark room every now and then and say, Pete, Pete. Come on, come on, have a look at this. And he would show me these negatives of women with big tits. <laughs> and he would say, what do you think of her tits, man? What do you think of her tits? And I'd say, well, I think they're absolutely gorgeous, Paul. You know, he didn't realise I actually liked big tits. So, you know, I have one straight gene in my body, and that's my tits gene. So, um, you know, but it was quite funny. And then it was, to be honest with you, it was, it was years later before I actually confronted Paul with all of this, even though I knew that he knew within about a year, I think, of working for the newspaper. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, it was good times, fun times. But and and David, you then... Oh, I'm not interviewing you. No, no, excuse me, because I want to take you back to uh, one more thing. One, a dinner party we had in, in uh, Islington once. Elizabeth and I had a... Uh, we, we gave lots of dinner parties, and, uh, and we had a rather... Uh, we had a rather sort of a posh evening. Eclectic once. crowd. I think I think uh, Don Micklethwaite, who was a editor of the Economist, was there. Um, 
there was probably a, a baron or, or there was some member of the aristocracy as well. I think um, one of the swires was there, this sort of thing. And it was a rather sort of poshed. And, but Pete wasn't, Pete was going out on some sort of rave or something. I don't think I was invited. No, you weren't invited. You weren't invited. But, but I was living upstairs. You should mention. Uh, yeah, you were living on the top I was living on top your top floor. floor. And uh, anyway, rent, he rent free. He, he popped his head. Oh no, a bottle of wine. Remember, mm-hmm. but he popped his head round uh, the corner to say good night to us uh, as he was going out on his. Uh, well, just just talk me through what you were wearing that night, Pete. <laughs> okay, well, you have to understand. This is not the way I would go out in London. But <laughs> I was going to a specific party, and it was a, so I was head to toe in rubber, <laughs> and I had a shiny. Very shiny. It was like it was like oil, pitch black oil uh, T-shirt that was just quite beautiful, actually, very figure hugging. And then I had some um, some lovely designer jeans made from rubber as well. So and then big bother boots on, you know. So I looked fairly sort of out of place when I popped my head round the corner and then say, "I'm going out now, and I'll see you later." And there was this absolute silence at the table, and I didn't think too much of it. Months later, of course, exactly. I this ended is what up, I want to hear. Months. It was months later. It would have been a would have been a year later at least. I was uh, working by that stage in Hong Kong, and I did the odd freelance job. And I was sent to do. I think I was sent to photograph the Swire guy. With I Johnny Swire, uh, and. Um, so I went into his office in uh, Hollywood Road in Hong Kong, and uh, he, he, I was sort of saying, yeah, so just turn to the light a little bit. Yeah, that's a great, great, great. And this way, it was a business photo, by the way, you know. This yeah, was, he was MD of Dragonair at that point, I believe. Uh, you know, that's a, it, was, it was quite a big shoot for me, actually. And uh, he was looking at me really strangely, and, you know, eventually he said, look, can I just stop you? And I said, yeah, sure, what's up? And he said, I think we know each other. And I said, no, 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 we don't. Can you just point your head to the light, please, a little bit? A bit? <laughs> no, 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 I'm telling you, I think we've met before. And this carried on. And eventually, suddenly, he had this light bulb moment. And he looked at me saying, I've got it. And I said, you've got what? And he said, I remember where we met. And I said, where? He said, Elizabeth and Elizabeth Bazzani and David Fox's dinner party in Islington. You walked into the room head to toe in rubber. Well, I'm afraid that was the end of the business photo shoot for me. But I did get a good shot out of him in the end. But I mean, you know, it's extraordinary. I didn't remember a single thing about that until he brought that up. I mean, that's how sort of easy it was to sort of walk around London dressed like that. God, imagine doing that in Hong Kong. Excellent. Okay, and now there's one last thing I want to ask you about Pete as well. And, it, you know, this, you know, you coming out was quite, not just an important thing for you, obviously, it was a, you know, really groundbreaking thing for you. And, and you know, it, it changed all of your friends as well, because I think it's important to note that we were all probably pretty homophobic growing up. Probably out of out of ignorance as much as anything. And in the old wise words of Yoda, you know, ignorance leads to fear, fear leads to anger, and, and, and all the rest of it. And so it was only when we discovered we had a great mate who was gay that our attitudes changed. And I remember uh, uh, in particular, which I want to take you to, the first time I believe, I mean, you had 
loads of your friends who you hadn't known from school who, you know, you came out to. And, um, and then you had your uh, Zimbabwean mates. And it, it came out, it trickled out news of, you know, you coming out, if you like. Mm. But you hadn't really joined up with a big bunch of them. And I do remember Spike's wedding, Andrew Coburn's wedding in Kenya, where a whole bunch of us all went out to the wedding and there were, must have been eight or nine of us all sharing a house. And this was the first time you were all with us with these eight or nine straight blokes you were at school with out and, and proud for the first time. In Nairobi? In Nairobi, indeed. Without uh, all the other wedding guests. Uh, but we were all sharing one house, remember, in uh, okay. in uh, Mathega. Okay. And, uh, were you all walking around with your bums to the wall? <laughs> well, there was. <laughs> the, the anecdote... Watch out for Pete Wood. <laughs> Have you heard the news? No, but there was, you know, there was a lot of joking going on on the side. And as I say, it, it took the... Um, I mean, it, it might be considered way below the belt, if you'll pardon the expression, but the belt is what the anecdote I want you to talk about. And, but... But we were all, um, no, it was, you know, people would be like, uh, you know, at lunchtime, somebody would say, have you heard Pete's still gay? At supper, we'd say, oh, is Pete still gay? Oh, uh, really? <laughs> no, this would so go they on. thought it was just a phase house. <laughs> no, 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 it was just a joke. It was the end joke. Oh, really? Okay. No, no, it was just the end joke. But no, there was the funniest thing where you cracked us up, and I think you won us all over. Is, uh, and do you remember it, though? Bush's belt. No, I don't. Sorry. Oh, sorry, don't... your belt, and Bush and your belt. I'm sorry, no, I have no well, anyway, idea what you're talking about. Brian, Mac okay, I'm going to have to tell this anecdote then, but then we, yeah, you know, we, uh, Brian McDonough, uh, he was always quite a, you know, fancied himself as a snazzy dresser. Well, and he's also like a Tarzan, wasn't he? He's built like a, a Bulgarian a, weightlifter. Yeah. yeah. But he had a rather snazzy leather belt. Oh, no, you had a rather snazzy leather belt. I've got this anecdote completely around the bend. You had a rather snazzy leather belt. And Bush McDonough said to you, Pete, that's a really nice belt. And you said, you can have it if you take it off with your teeth. <laughs> Did I really? <laughs> and, that was, and, and that was my sort that of... That was the icebreaker that completely... Uh, from then on, we were no longer oh. homophobic. And we just sort oh, of... Um, you'd won us over with it. Do you it. know, I can't remember that story. It, I, that, that your group, our group, oh, our right. group, our group of people, which I do mention in my school chapter, you know, who became, were, stayed loyal with me all my school days... It was a huge thing, and this was years later, years later. We're talking about 12, 12 years after me leaving school, aren't we? Oh, and plus, yeah. And, uh, plus, and plus. And yet we were still, I was still nervous about how people were going to react to the whole thing. But I was also at that stage in my life where I thought, damn them all if they don't like it. It was sort of in 1995, yeah. yeah it, was, it was late. It was Spike's wedding. Yeah, 91. Oh, 91, there you go. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember that story. I think it's a fantastic story. And, uh, um, you know, I think this is a fantastic time maybe to... I'm going to say it. I think this is a fantastic time to wrap it up. I do know I want to uh, uh, do another one with you in a few months' time, Pete. 
because there's something even more salacious and a few more even you know uh, risque stories that oh I'm God. pretty okay. sure your audience. Well, I'm going to have to have some whiskey for that. Uh, one. There you go. Uh, anyway, but uh, as the guest presenter here today, I'd just like to thank you very much for listening to this extra special. Uh, episode of Mud Between Your Toes and I know that the, the big boss of the whole affair will tell you all about the www.mudbetweenyourtoes.com uh, buy my book and uh, listen to my podcast and tell all your friends about it. And David, you are welcome any time to be a host. To, in fact, maybe I should just give this job up. Bollocks. Yeah, you can talk about your days in the army. But that's another one, eh? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I mean, your days, your days writing about the army. Okay, David, thanks so much. It's been, it's been incredibly good fun, and I was nervous as hell, and I've loved every minute of it. Thank you so much. Don't get the last word in, Pete. Goodbye, everybody. That, ladies and gentlemen, was my good friend David Fox, and somehow I think we're going to hear a lot more from him in future episodes. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much for listening to me, and remember, you can tune into my new episodes of Mud Between Your Toes via iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, and Pocket Casts. Don't forget, you can always buy a copy of my book on both Amazon and Kindle. And I also welcome comments by email on mudbetweenyourtoes at gmail.com. If you want to get involved and you have a good story to tell about those years in Rhodesia, and if you're brave enough to be interviewed for Mud Between Your Toes, feel free to write to me. Goodbye. <laughs>